Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Sazza. Midfield, 50-yard line, home sideline, West Virginia defeats Baylor, 43-40. And I had a boss many years ago, Chris, who would talk about fans and how fickle they are. And we would call games like this uh, the Wilt Chamberlain games, not because somebody almost scored 100 today, but because, like, years from now, everybody's going to say they were there when they weren't. The crowd is 45,000 tonight, and there's, I don't know, 12, 15,000 people who probably wish they were here because, man, we had a really, really fun football game out here. Like, it should be on a Thursday night. Like, it should be in the Big 12. Lots of points, lots of offense, lots of drama. And if you happen to be on the home side, you got to win tonight. Pretty good, all things considered. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a heck of a game. It looked like a game that might get out of line early. And you said 45,000 plus there in a stadium that holds 60,000 plus. Um, not quite sure it looked like that on TV. Um, maybe it did eventually fill into that. But certainly once Baylor went up 17 to 7 and then got the ball back again, um, I imagine there were some fans who also left at that point. So I'm not even sure there were 45,000 in that actually saw the good part of the game in the second half and got to really enjoy everything as it got down to the wire there. Before we get going, uh, a preemptive apology from me here. Many people have been critiquing the audio quality of the podcast. Uh, diagnosed the problem that we were not aware of when it was recording, trying to fix it. A fix did not arrive in time tonight. We're going Bluetooth on the microphone, trying what we can. Hey, we didn't have to do this. You know, we could be out celebrating a, a Casey leg walk off field goal. And then, good mood on the board and things like that. But no, we're here. We're beautiful. And it's all, it's always tough when you're, you you don't have the perfect podcast setup when you are, I mean, I'm, I'm in the comforts of my own home, apparently with a hailstorm going on outside. I don't know if anybody else Mm. can hear that, but um, you're on, you're at the field, you're in the press box, you're in the stadium with still thousands of people with police in the background, trying to get people out of the stadium, out of the parking lots, all sorts of stuff going on. So it's not the ideal podcasting situation either. No, but I'm going to soldier through. <laughs> it's for the people. For the people. And we have a lot to talk to the people about tonight. Uh, 1,090 yards, 86 points. I have, um, I've kind of been tapping on this drum for a while. I may have to start banging on now. This feels like a throwback Big 12 year, you know, except maybe Oklahoma is going to be at the top. But you're seeing a lot of offenses. I think that there's probably some okay talent on defense. It's young, though. Um, a lot of the defensive players on the all-conference teams last year graduated. They're in the pros, whatever. And you have a lot of young defenses, but you have continuity on offense. You have good receivers, running games, offensive lines, quarterbacks. And we saw a bunch of it tonight. We can get into all that because it made a good defense look bad. It made a bad defense look bad. Off the top, Chris, though, I don't know if Neil Brown has a bigger win than this. I know he's only scored more points against an FBS team once. That was 44 against NC State back in 2019. If you're looking for style and substance coming out of an open week in a corner, trying to fight out of it and, and get back to the middle of the ring and then maybe move up the standings. I don't know what more you could ask for tonight. Maybe not a 10 nothing de- or 10 point deficit early, but man, they got points, offense, defense, special teams. They got bounces. They got turnovers. They hit a bunch of big plays on offense. They ran the ball. They protected the passer. I'm running out of breath here because it was a lot of positives tonight in a situation that required a lot of positives. 
uh, I think before the game, was it Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, somewhere in there, uh, somebody sent me a link to a story that said that if West Virginia loses this game, Neil Brown's going to get fired. Source. Source, colon. And I laughed. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, for real. Uh, I'm not kidding. I'll give you two guesses who it was, or three guesses, and the first two don't count. Um, And I laughed and I laughed. That's not legit, of course. And I I don't, you know, you you very rarely want to put the ultimatum must win kind of things on that. But then as, and and this isn't isn't like, you know, no sources of this, he's going to get fired, all that stuff. But it did, as the game was going on, after the game had started and you got into it and those opportunities were there for West Virginia, the turnover right back to him, boom, tied it back up. Oh, this happened. They got the ball up, gave it right back. Oh, this, up, that. Oh, this, here it is. It's there for you again. Blocked kick. Now you're only down four. It's right there on the platter. It, it's it's there for you. That's when it started to feel like me, like, man, if West Virginia somehow loses this game with the bounces they've gotten, and, and again, and Neil Brown said it, you know, they got some bounces tonight, but they sure as heck haven't gotten him in the past. By the way, he, he dropped the D word, Michael. I'm going to have to blur that out on the old YouTube later. Um, but they got a couple of bounces, and it really did feel like, oh, man, you can't – if they lose this game because of some some quirky time management decisions, a couple bad turnovers, and the defense just getting eaten alive again and again and again and again, that's probably the worst-case scenario for what I could have imagined heading into the game. And, and it started to feel more and more like a must-win game as the game went on. And they did all the things they needed to do to win. Like, there's, it, it was not a perfect game. There's a lot of bad in here. I think three of my five rapid reactions were bad, which is kind of weird for a win against a good team. But um, they they did the things that they needed to do when it mattered most. And guys, uh, he said it. You know, there, it was grit. And I hate it. I know it's all coach talk when you talk about that stuff. Ah, it's grit. They tried hard. And, all that, but they were down 17-7, and Baylor had the ball. Or it was, it was, they were down 10. They were losing. Oh, they made a big. When JT Daniels throws that interception, and they're only up three, it, you could just almost feel it. Like that's it. There it is. Of course, that's how it loses. You know, JT Daniels, you know, has been pretty good all night, and and he's going to make a throw like that just straight into a Baylor defender's arms when there's absolutely no need to to do it. And now Baylor's going to score a touchdown, and that's that. Except that's not what happened. And so I think it ended up being a pretty special win. And it could really be something. I think Neil Brown said got some wind at their back, wind in their sails, whatever he said. I think this is some some kind of game that could build some momentum. Has to. Um, and they need it nowhere and no time more than next week because they have not beaten Baylor. Or that they had not lost to Baylor at home. They haven't beaten Texas Tech um, in the Brown regime. So, yeah, these are things you have to cross off the list. They did not want to go to 5-1 and one against Baylor. They didn't. They do not want to be 0-4 against Texas Tech. And, hey, you probably like your chances not going in there because, listen, their defense may not be able to patch up all the holes. They have an offense that can punch back, that's for sure. Um, let's run down the, the events here because there are many. It starts out, like you said, 17-7. West Virginia comes out, looks really good offensively, looks pretty West Virginia defensively, though. Um, key moment in the game and probably the first grunt, sigh, eye roll. We've heard this before, Chris. Third and one, Traylon Davis, false start. Third and six. Incomplete pass, got to kick a field goal. It's 17-10, and you're just thinking, here we go. Step on the rake. But 
and this is where, like you said, cliche coach speak stuff, people don't want to hear it. But man, if it isn't true sometimes, and it certainly was here, uh, I'm not sure if Sean Martin really stripped the ball, but the ball did come out of the quarterback's hands. And Jasir Cox happens to be on the scene, returns to 65 yards for a touchdown, brand new ball game, 17 7. I don't know that they stopped Baylor in that situation. 24 10 is very different than 17 7. It seemed like they were probably on their way to points, but not a touchdown. I don't know if there's been a bigger play this year. I don't know if they needed one more than they did at that moment right there. The first couple plays of that drive, five-yard run, and then, what, a 46-yard pass on the next play? Like, it took them 30 seconds to go the length of the field to be in position, basically, to score. They were right on the on the precipice of the red zone in two plays. That's how easily Baylor was moving the ball before that strip sack, um, which, again, that's what it's credited as, so that's what we're going to call it. Uh, and a great return. And again, it just felt like, I think I said at halftime, it felt like the Virginia Tech game, except West Virginia was the other way around. In that Virginia Tech game, West Virginia was dominating, but was only up one point because they had that fumble. They had had to settle for a couple field goals, I think is what it was. But it was West Virginia had twice as many yards, twice as many first downs, all that stuff. At halftime, West Virginia had 187 yards of offense. Good, solid. That's, that's a decent showing for a half especially against a good Baylor team. Baylor had 160 yards after the catch receiving only. Like they were almost even in that regard. 160 yards after the catch for Baylor, 187 total yards rushing and receiving for West Virginia at halftime. So they were, Baylor was dominating at halftime, but it was only a seven point game and West Virginia was getting the ball back. So it didn't really feel like it. And, and like I said, Baylor just kept putting them back into it, putting them back into it. And West Virginia finally made them pay. Yeah, it's 24-17 of the half because even though they get the fumble return touchdown, uh, I think a five-play drive for Baylor follows. They get a screen pass where just atrocious pursuit and tackling on the sideline for a running back screen. Baylor is not a team that runs screens. Uh, they were 9 for 10 coming into the game. They had a 39-yarder. It scores, and you're just thinking, gosh, because that drive was also aided by a personal foul on Justin Jefferson. And this has all the hallmarks of a West Virginia pulling defeat from the jaws of victory kind of thing, stepping on the rake, as we like to say, except things changed in the second half. Um, third quarter, just like the first quarter, come out and score, look really sharp, give up a touchdown. But when they give up the touchdown, Chris, on that drive, a big thing happens. Blake Shapin gets knocked out of the game by Andrew Wilson Lamp on, I, I don't, man, it's not, it's targeting for sure. It's yeah. a heck of a spot for Wilson Lamp to be in when the quarterback's running like that. And honestly, like the quarterback played good for a while. I don't know if they lose this game if Shapin stays in. Um, it's just a really tough spot for him because I don't know how you're supposed to defend that play better. The targeting rules are really tough. It seems like it's impossible to teach players, defensive players in particular, how to handle this. Quarterbacks could probably handle themselves better. The Cody Pickett thing, um, Cody Pickett, Kenny Pickett thing is probably in a lot of quarterbacks' heads too, where you can't fake a slide, you got to be decisive. Um, that's a big moment in the game too because it does facilitate a scoring drive. Um, it was the first down anyways, but like Baylor loses their quarterback who was carving up West Virginia at that moment. West Virginia has to go to like a safety to play corner because of the injuries in the secondary. We can get to that. But that was a huge moment in the game that I think it really might have swung the outcome. Yeah, I, I I went on that on the board and on social media just because, again, as as the rules as they are, that was as about a clear a targeting call as there could be. It, it's, it is. It just is. But no doubt. The dangerous part of that play 
is not the hit from Andrew Wilson Lamp or the way he went to go tackle the guy. It's the slide. It is the slide from the quarterback. When you slide like that, like a baseball slide, feet first, hands down, helmet square where they're head, they're aiming or they're going to be aiming, you are just asking for a concussion. You are asking to get hit directly in the face with somebody else's helmet because Wilson Lamp is going down to hit him at the knees, at the legs, to take his legs out. And then he slides, and as he slides, he puts his head unguarded, defenseless, exactly where Andrew Wilson Lamp is aiming. And I don't know what you're supposed to do as a defender there. I really don't. And But the quarterback did what he's supposed to. He did what he's taught. And it was clearly a targeting, and he got hurt from it. But the dangerous part of that play is the slide. That's that that's the problem. And you're right. I think it might have swung the swung the game again. Uh, drones, right? That was his last name. The backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. He was good. He was making some throws, like capital T throws, there for a while. And I think at one point he might have been like six of eight or seven of nine or something like that, and was really good. And then kind of just had it kind of fell off for the next few plays and struggled. Made that bad decision throwing the ball up for the interception, but. Um, cause yeah, uh, Shapin was, was eating him up with that, uh, exactly what we said they would do. Well, they Mike, it was exactly what they said we were going to do there. We said they were going to do that. Baylor was going to try to hand off bootleg, run the receivers deep, deep go routes, skinny post routes, and then just tuck the tight ends underneath. And that's what they did. And they didn't run anything else for like three quarters. I, um, you know, I devour the film, Chris. Uh-huh. I had not seen much of drones. Just hadn't. I think he'd taken a handful of snaps and thrown three passes. I didn't think he was as good as he was at the start. He was he was on fire. He was letting it rip around the field. He starts six of eight for 91 yards on a touchdown. And he converts a fourth and one at the goal line for a touchdown. That's how much faith they had in him. He ends up seven for 14. So he finishes one for six and throws a brutal interception. I don't know what happens in that drive. I can't be confident that they score because he was at the helms and he looked a little shook at the end, especially on that last drive where his head just wasn't right. Um, a lot of pressure for a freshman. I get that. But um, he got him in the game. He kept him in the game. And, and I think timely West Virginia, their defensive line really got after him. And the interception was, again, a really bad decision. But he had defenders chasing him around his ankles. And then they, they really pressured him outside the pocket, up the middle, let him get outside. Knew he'd flee probably. And he just ran too much and took too much time off the clock. So, listen, part of the game is being able to win with your backup quarterback or even take out the quarterback, maybe under more legal circumstances, I guess. But, look, these are breaks for West Virginia. We're going to talk a lot about breaks. They got a break. The backup quarterback came in and didn't play great. Um, that's going to happen sometimes, too. And, and, you know, unfortunately, but here's a team that probably shouldn't be giving away breaks if you get them, uh, make them happen, too. Uh, another big situation, too, block PAT. Mm-hmm. That really changed the, the the tenor of the game. It certainly got some excitement back into the crowd. People thought it was a touchdown. Oh, my gosh, they're in the lead. What's going on here? No, but, like, it, it was a pretty big moment there. It makes it 37-33, and all of a sudden it brings, you know, field goals into the game with you know, two pretty good kickers there, too. But, I mean, that's kind of, again, indicative of good things happening. It's one thing to hop over the center and block it. Dante Stills has done that before. But uh, it goes right into the path of Jacoby Spells, who seems to have a nose for this kind of thing right now, too. Um Got his hands on two balls. He's returned to both. That seems like a pretty good ratio to me. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the um, the ESPN win probability is a little wonky because 
I, I, I don't know. It's like whenever the game is not on ESPN, I don't know if they just don't decide to work it or they only put interns on it and it just doesn't work out or what. But this is what the win probability said. And it might change. I'll double check it again before I put the story up. But I, I usually do it in real time so I can keep track of it. When Baylor scored the touchdown to go up six, West Virginia had a 23.7% chance of winning that game. Obviously with the assumption that Baylor's about to put in the extra point. When West Virginia blocked the extra point and returned it for two points, West Virginia's odds of winning went up to 41.2%, almost an 18% swing without a second ticking off the clock. And I know you said only 41.2. I mean, West Virginia is still losing, but at an 18% swing in these win probability things, that's remarkable. Like that, that is a huge swing. And that meant a lot in this game, obviously. It's not even a snap. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't count in the stats. Like, yeah, you missed a field, you missed an extra point. It's a block, it's a return. Great. But it's no snap, there's no time off the clock, nothing like that. Uh, I mean, listen, they got. We can wrap up the game here in a second. Uh, Tony Mathis played very well, ran the ball, got him down, they kicked the field goal, they win the game. Actually, touchdown, one drive, and then they run down. He takes over, they win the game. Ta-da, great. Uh, we can talk more about Mathis, but like West Virginia first five games, three losses, 27 nothing points off turnovers, two pick sixes that decided games, and then two other turnovers that turned into touchdowns. When they won, they were plus 14 on turnover margin, 14-0. That's Black and white to me. And today, it's not not a shutout, but it's 14 to 3. Uh, they return. And really, I'm not saying it's a turnover, but the block PAT, that's 16 points on returns and gifts and things like that, too. But listen, they got a fumble return and uh, a second fumble that, again, I don't know how, I don't know how Jasir Cox got that ball because he wasn't even in the picture of the initial scrum, but he explained it to me after the game, but kind of indicative of their, their want to in certain situations. But fumble return, fumble recovery, touchdown, touchdown. Um, JT Daniels makes this. Irrelevant, but ultimately interesting with his turnover, his interception. First and 15, Chris, on a pass in your end zone. I think it's just because you trust your quarterback. But that had shades of Jared Daigie in Virginia Tech last year to me. Um, just a really unusual pass for him that he doesn't always make. But, hey, good thing for him. First time he got picked, it wasn't returned for a touchdown. They get the defender on the ground. It's a field goal. It's a tie game. Instead, they have plenty of time to go down and do something with it, too. It seemed like for a long time, and I said this during the game, it seemed like the first stop was going to win the game. Did not happen <laughs> at all. And, and ultimately, uh, West Virginia scores about 35 seconds left and picks it back. And there's just not enough time and not enough plays in the bag for Baylor. And, and again, West Virginia, nothing to apologize for. When they had to have, and they got it in a, really a style they had to have. But a very eventful fourth quarter, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to run down a few like small things to go over and a couple big things I want to talk about. And one of those was the... The, the Daniels rollout, that that pick, and it's just kind of been this thing with him rolling out, and he, it happened a couple times in this game. And I'll go back and look. I said 0 for 7, but it's it's something like that, and it's, you know, maybe he did complete a pass, but it was the wrong decision. It, it's when he is rolling out to his right, we have seen repeatedly the last three games or so, it, it, it has not ended well. It, it has not at all. Like, I, mean, I don't tonight, think he likes it. I don't think he does either tonight. He doesn't look comfortable and tonight was terrible. I mean, that interception, that was one play. Obviously that's the, the one that's going to be the most glaring. There was another one earlier where he could have run for a first chose not to made a bad pass. A third one where he again could have run for a first chose not to 
and threw to the wrong guy. Like there were two guys and one was wide open. And then he ended up throwing to another one that was very well covered. And you go back and I think, I can't remember, was it Texas or Virginia Tech? I think it was a third down and he could have run it and instead decided to pass it and the ball got dropped and West Virginia had to punt or, or the ball, they had turned the ball over on downs. And it's just been a repeated thing. If that's not what he's comfortable with, got to stop doing it because it, it's really hurting West Virginia's offense there. Um, and what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, the other thing on offense, the big thing on offense, because there's one big thing on offense, one small, I guess, I mean, we've already talked about the secondary. Are we, We're not getting to the secondary yet, are we? I mean, we're going to have to, right? Okay, let me let me do one more thing before we get to the secondary because it's something. Um, but we got to take a minute to talk about this offensive line. Zero sacks, zero. When JT Daniels dropped back to throw 38 times, 37 pass attempts, one run, he dropped back to pass 38 times, zero sacks against Baylor, a team that was second in the entire Big 12 conference in pressures on the quarterback coming into the game behind only Texas. Three, average six yards per carry against a team that was ranked 18th, 17th in run defense coming into the game, allowing less than fewer than three yards per carry. West Virginia averaged six. There were huge holes to run, huge, huge holes, especially late. And I think that's when they played their best. I think that was when the holes were even bigger was late in the game. And a couple of those times, yeah, they had favorable boxes. They sure did. But you miss one block. And it doesn't matter how favorable the box is. I think it was the the Justin Johnson run, touchdown run. It was only five guys in the box for some reason. But all five of West Virginia's offensive linemen blocked all five defenders. Nice, easy TD. Maybe the best game by the West Virginia offensive line since Neil Brown got to Morgantown. Siaki Ika, three tackles, one quarterback hit. And Chris, that's the only quarterback hit. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and it's one that JT Daniels is going to remember forever because yeah, he's going to feel they that showed it on replay. It was all 370 pounds right on top of him. Um, I'd have to go back and watch this, but I felt like a lot of stuff today was inside out, where like they bounced it out because I don't know if it was a design, a cutback, or whatever, but like it got that defense inside, and you know there's a hurry sometimes to get inside when you're only going to play a light box. But it felt to me watching it that their receivers. And even Brian Palendi blocked very well to get inside plays outside. And there was some good blocking down the field. I get that, too. But there are some things we have to break that initial level that's going to require a block from somebody that's not on the offensive line. Uh, but Palendi's imperfect, obviously. But over that, it looks like Michael Lawkin will not be back this year. And if he is back, he's going to be in a compromised state because of his knee. But Palendi has to be good. And they've, they've held him as a very good run blocker. And, and honestly, he hasn't been. Uh, got a catch today. Moved him a lot when they rolled that pocket. I don't know if he's supposed to be a blocker or if he's supposed to be a receiver. Sometimes I don't think he knows either. In fact, he got called for being down the field, actually on the Daniels interception too. So that whole play might've gotten short circuited, but going back and watching, I would not be surprised to see that he probably did really well sealing some blocks and getting guys outside. I, I know that Sam James and some of the receivers did as well. It felt like on the left side more than the right side, but that's what it seemed like where Mathis made some hate today too. Um, it's going to take something like that, too. When you're, when you're going to run against that defense, you're going to have to get some second-level blocks. You might break that first level because you're going to have an advantage, but they're pretty good about getting, uh, getting the ball on the ground there. And they were very good at it, too. And Mathis didn't hear footsteps, didn't hear number 12 coming in taking the snaps, was able to get a lot of carries today. He got better as the game went on. And if I'm wrong here, Chris, 
I looked at the running game and the offensive line just wore out the Baylor defensive front in this game, which absolutely had to happen. They were going to play this way and win the game. Yeah, absolutely. I think early on, especially, I, I even though the stats weren't there for running in the first half necessarily, like I think they were even better in the in the second half, but the holes were there in the first half. And I, I made a comment about it on the board. I was like, oh my goodness, uh, especially with Johnson. I was like, he's going the wrong way each time. Um, he, he's getting a 50-50 decision. He's got to cut left, he's got to cut right. And his offensive line has created the hole to the right and he's cutting to the left. Or it was correct to the left and he's going to the right. And But the holes were there if they would have just followed it correctly. And I think they finally followed it correctly the further along the game went. And maybe that's why the holes seemed bigger because the offensive line just, again, I think the best thing I can say is it was, I can't even think of another time, but against a, a power five opponent that they played this well in the Neil Brown era. And look, and I wonder what happens with the quarterback playing the whole game, but their defense is good. They just got beat by good running and blocking tonight, too. They caught balls. They made, they broke tackles on runs and catches. Like, they, West Virginia played a good offensive game, and, like, this has been in their bag for a while. Have they been able to put it all together? Sometimes, yeah, and sometimes, no. Like, I think you're as good as your last game, which makes them good now, right? Or at least better, the three and three. So, Can I ask you good. one like, quick question? Person, that was good. Sorry, one quick question before we go to the secondary. Caden Prather, wide receiver number one. Yeah, he's got to be now. He's the only yep. one making plays on the outside. Yep. Okay. And hey, I, I like you're taking the Neil Brown approach here. He, he repeated it multiple times during the postgame press conference, saying, "We've won three or four. What's what's everybody getting so upset about? Mm-hmm. He's not mm-hmm. wrong. And won three or four. Oh, you lost three of six too. <laughs> right, we can all play this game. Listen, I mean, like, again, like nobody wants to hear this, but you're you're a a pick six away in overtime and a pick six away in the fourth quarter from just being a very different season here. So, listen, I mean, coaches they they see light at the end of tunnels. They don't see the train, you know. So they're they're always going toward the outcome, and they try not to deviate off of what they believe. And he's he's been pretty steadfast. And I'm not saying he's right, but like tonight he's right, and like the way they won today is the way he wanted to play too. Uh, not without some scares, courtesy of the secondary. And let's just go over some personnel things, too. Um, they start McCormick and Ajay. Neither one of them makes it out of the first half. Uh, Mumu bin Wahad does not play. He, he has a lower extremity, Chris. He I does? Have two of those. I think you have two of those. Um, yeah, so uh, he, one of his apparently isn't working. Okay. And so he's not there. They lose Andrew Wilson-Lamp for about a quarter and a half tonight, I think. Uh, yeah. And also, he'll be at the first half of the Texas Tech game. They're playing Malachi Ruffin. They moved him from safety. He hadn't even practiced the corner for a while. I think he makes maybe a, a oops good play by committing pass interference in the end zone. Uh, 15-yard penalty instead of a touchdown. You'll take that. That ended up as a field goal drive. Um, but just beat over the head on inside passes, which that's where Baylor makes their hay on offense. They just cut you up in the middle of the field, and they were just getting beat over and over and over. Part of that is Baylor does not have a big goal up and get a guy on the outside. And they're just smart. They use the middle of the field tight ends and, you know, inward breaking routes. And West Virginia had no counter for that for the most part of this game. I got something for you. Coming into tonight, Baylor was tied for 113th out of 131 teams in 20 plus yard pass plays with 12 in five games. 
Would you like to take a stab at how many they had tonight against West Virginia in one game? I'm, I'm looking at the numbers, so I can tell you, but go ahead. Yeah, in one game with a backup quarterback for half the game, almost half the game, they had 10. 10 20-plus yard pass plays tonight alone. That, like, it just seemed like every single, and there was another, what, another five that were, you know, more than 15, you know, the stat broadcast does the 15 plus yard plays. And I think there was another five that were 15 to, to 19 yards. Like they just carved that team, that secondary up over and over. And again, Neil Brown said, the pieces are the pieces. That was his quote. He's not wrong. I mean, you can't add people in free agency at this point. Um, and you can't get over the injuries. Like, I mean, if Ajayi gets hurt and McCormick gets hurt, you can't keep playing him, of course. But the one thing that was driving me nuts, and it's drove me nuts all year long, and we talked about it in the preview pod, we talked about it at the post-game Texas pod, is them just not being in position pre-snap and them being confused pre-snap. Like, it, was, it wasn't quite as bad tonight, but it was still there. It was still noticeable of guys turning their head away from the ball when it's being snapped, talking to somebody else on defense, talking about coverage, talking about responsibilities. Um, there was the one key third and seven play late in the game. I think this is, is you get a stop here. Basically West Virginia wins it third and seven and X three low is essentially covering the slot. And he's turned or looking over his left shoulder, talking to Jacoby spells. Ball gets and and at the same time, um, Marcus Floyd is running across the field to the other side of the field because he's not in the right position. And all this is going on as the ball is getting snapped. There's no way you can play defense like that. And sure enough, quarterback throws it right to a receiver who goes directly in between low and spells who had their head turned away when the ball was being snapped first down in a key spot. It's happened too much this year. I don't know why it's happening. But that's that's killer. That's stuff that can get fixed. You can't you can't fix personnel at this point. You can't fix injuries, but you can fix this pre-snap issues, these pre-snap issues that West Virginia's having. Yeah, Baylor spins you like a top, man. They they move that pocket, they formation you, they shift stuff too, and they're good. I, I don't know. They're gonna see a lot of offenses that are good, including next week too. But like, you got to tip your cap to Baylor runs some of that stuff. But also, like, I think teams do try to. I think they try to scramble West Virginia's eggs with this stuff before the snap, too, and that can definitely happen, too. Um, let's wrap up with this, Chris. Are you ready? Yep. A little devil's advocate for you, a little kangaroo court, if you will. Um, okay. If this game ends up 43-40 Baylor, everything goes up, everything goes the same, but let's say Baylor kicks the game-winning field goal. Would you remove Neil Brown from the hot seat, or would you take him maybe, like, down a few degrees? No, if, if Baylor won tonight? Yeah. The game is the exact same, but Baylor goes down and kicks the field goal and wins this 43-40. No, I think it's even worse. I think it's a, it's I think it's in a bad situation and would actually be even worse if Baylor had just kind of come in and not really dominated the game, but kind of won by like 12 or 10. Um, again, because it just seemed like it was being put on a platter for West Virginia to take. And as you know, you know, West Virginia was stepping on the rake, stepping on the rake. And then they finally stopped. And that's why they won. And I think if they would have stepped on the rake one more time and Baylor would have been the one kicking the field goal at the end of the game, that could have been bad. Like very, like it would have turned up a few degrees on the seat. 
Okay. I think it's an interesting question. I don't disagree with you, but I think you saw a lot out of West Virginia tonight that they've talked about, and the coaches have been trying to coach out of their players and talk others into believing exists, and it happened tonight. Like, they have not gotten plays. Never mind points. Plays from their defense. They got it tonight. Special teams made a play. They didn't, they didn't have a, you know, a terrible mistake on special teams or, or do something this ridiculous on offense except the one Daniels play, which they survive and overcome. But I was thinking in my head, like, you know, if they did lose this game or, hey, if they lost this game, I think you might have to feel better about the final six games because – and then I'm also thinking, well, they're going to have to win, you know, three before they lose three, and that's going to be very difficult too. So, I mean – it would be tough. Don't get me wrong there, but I think you see my point being there's a lot that's redemptive and redeeming in this in this outcome for them tonight. And the flip side for West Virginia is you don't have to have that conversation because it's three and three. And this is why stuff about this is why stuff about midseason firing or early season firing or if they lose the tech game is so is so fickle and sometimes silly because you have so much time to play. And I know that nobody wants to hear that stuff, but like that's why they have a schedule. Like you can't win a championship in the third week of the season. You can look really good. You can look terrible too, but it's a whole lot of time and time is sometimes an enemy time is sometimes a friend, but time is constant until you don't have any left. And it's going to be a long time until they have none left. Now, if they go out and they lose and they get boat race against Texas tech, if they can't overcome their defensive issues and they can't score back and forth, you know, maybe, maybe things get reset a little bit, but you don't have to worry about that. Now you don't have to worry about the, Oh, they lost at home to Baylor for the first time. And Oh, they lost again to Texas tech because one of those, is off the table. That's a good outcome for West Virginia. Chris, preview weekend here. Long weekend for us. Friday morning by the time people hear this. Um, we're actually going to have to work a little bit harder on the weekend, I guess, huh? Not me. I'm going on vacation, so good luck, pal. Oh! <laughs> Finally. No, I got, I, I've already got some stuff lined up. I got some recruiting stories, new offers out. Uh, I got some recruit reaction from the night's game. That'll be up tomorrow um, or today, depending on what time you listen to this. It'll be up Friday. Uh PFF, PFF report card will be up Friday. Uh, I got the plays that changed the game again. I was keeping track of that during the game. It was it was a wild one. Um, West Virginia, you know, when they took that 7-0 lead early, they were the favorites, and then they were very very much not the favorites for a very long portion of that game, um, and then kind of back and forth a little bit there at the end. So it'll be an interesting read. Um, snap judgments, good stuff, and then what we circle back around next week with Big 12 media days for basketball and. Um, Neil Brown again Tuesday back on a regular schedule for a Saturday game. Yeah, rest of the way too, so that'll be good too. Um, three o'clock game, Texas Tech is that right? Three or three thirty? Yeah, three thirty. I guess the one thing not for West Virginia is just to kind of root for Baylor to be good mm-hmm. because they need a win that looks good because there are other ones right now don't and they lost a good team. Don't get me wrong, but like being like you know we lost to a good team that doesn't sound good. But if you beat teams that end up winning eight, nine, ten games, or Baylor can't win ten, I understand that. But like then things do look good for it. I think Baylor, you know, defending champion, a lot of teams back and, and spanked West Virginia last year. And again, is a good team. I think you saw a good team tonight. It just got beat. The other team was better. Um, which is not something that West Virginia has been able to say. So hey, if you need like silver linings here for the rest of the way, just kinda hope that Baylor does well and, you know, maybe some of these other wins look a little bit better. Maybe some of the losses look a little bit better too. But you put yourself in, the, in a good position tonight for West Virginia. It certainly beats the outcome that uh, maybe you were expecting or accustomed to. So don't have to worry about that. Hope everybody enjoyed this one. Forgive the audio issues. We'll try to get better next time. Uh, Chris, I got it under control while you're gone. Go have fun. I'll try my best. Until then, I'm Mike Kassazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time.